I'm Rob. I'm E. I'm Masai Bay. Hey, yo, check, 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 check this new rhyme out. Check this rhyme I wrote. I'm kind of feeling, you listening? I'm like the general of Congress. One wave of the rhyme turn a jam to a bomb fest. Ride a beat all day without a harness. Fresh like a hand-picked grapefruit. I do without the garbage like I'm Amish. A fake mutant. I don't speak much, there's rarely a take two. Original Hebrew. About me, they say Hebrew styles like nobody do. He do to your body of work what a shot he do. He murder fat loops, he never murder people. My flavor's made for any particular age. Zero years to 80, 7,000 BC to 7,080. Niji could learn a few writing styles from me. Word, I write and recite. Fresher than any internet nerd could type. I live off skill and not hype, heard? And I'm out. Welcome to the next movement, Masai Bay. Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to join us. This uh, feels like a treat. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. No problem. <laughs> we got a lot we want to talk with you about. Definitely have some questions for you about Natural Magic Music, the album that you're getting ready to re-release with Uncommon Records. But I kind of feel like in order to talk about that, we may need to talk a, a little bit about your history first. So I will admit, I was introduced to you through your feature on Body of Work off Billy Wood's album, History Will Absolve Me, (laughs) and um, have since had to go back and piece your story together. I think many of our listeners, though, probably first heard your single, Paper Mache, uh, the 12-inch produced by LP and originally released by Def Jux in 2002, which (laughs) Uncommon uh, Records, Uncommon Restoration recently re-released and, and pressed on seven inch wax so folks can look out for that yeah yep um prior to that you uh you dropped a, a couple singles with paranoid android you and cage and space but i'm wondering like prior to those two singles paranoid android and, and paper mache what was your relationship with music like always around <laughs> music was always playing yeah so i mean it was always playing it was music always at my house there was records everywhere, basement, living room. So when I was about three years old, I used to just pull the records off the record shelf and just stare at the covers. You know, I just stare at all the covers. So one of the covers that amazed me was uh, the Staples singers. Pop Staples had all white beard, mm. mustache and everything. And I thought it was amazing. At that point, I had never seen like a person with like an all white beard, especially a black person with an all white beard and mustache. So it was just like, wow. So I wanted to hear that record, mm-hmm. but my brothers, my brothers were DJs. So going to, you know, visit them and going to their house and, you know, listening to them rock and watching them rock. It just, the bug was just, it just went crazy. Mm-hmm. But my parents were, you know, well, you know, just music in the home. Yeah. That's it. All my uncles, my father, my uncles, we, they all play the conga players and percussionists, mm-hmm. you know, you know, my father sang doo-wop also, and he's a poet and a writer and an artist and, philosopher so it's just been in me like music is like me and music go hand in hand i can't even function without it yeah Mm. at what point did you start like writing your own stuff probably about 11 years old okay wow i was about 11 and and what about the production side like when did you start like making beats and producing stuff i'll say about 13 for a junior high school talent show a bunch of us decided to get in the talent show and there was a drum machine that everyone used to pass around, you know, pass around the town. And so we used the, the drum machine for the talent show. So I had started like 
working on beat standing. So I got the bug, which is funny because, you know, I practiced and learned on, with the drum machine for the talent show, but I didn't even play the drums on the talent, in the talent, the drum machine in the talent show. I was the beatbox. <laughs> so it was pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like you were, you were like really uh, immersed in the culture, right? Like, Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. From birth. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> So you start writing, you start, uh, you know, making beats. And then at some point you get to this place where you're recording with Cage, Paranoid, Android. Like in your mind, what, where did you see that going at that point? I didn't see it going anywhere. Hmm. In fact, it was like, it was, it was a favor to Cage. I was at home just chilling and he called me up and was like, yo, I need a beat for the single that I'm doing. Can you come over and bring me a beat? So... I brought a you know a couple of drums over and brought a little drum machine over to his house, made a beat real quick, and they recorded vocals on the beat. So then they asked me if I wanted to get on the song. So then I went into my notebook or whatever or in my head and decided a verse to kick on the song. So then I dropped the verse on the song. But they also had a beat that was that a song that they was doing on the on the B side or the A side. I can't remember which one it was, but the other side. And uh they asked me, but someone else had made that beat, but they asked me if I wanted to get on that too. So I threw a verse on that also. <laughs> so you were kind of just doing this for yourself. You really had no plan in terms of, you know, this is going to be my career. At that point, no, I didn't think it was, I didn't think it would be a career at that point. Because mm. at that point, it was still just like something just fun to do. Right. You know what I'm saying? So at, at some point before that, I had put the, trying to make beats because I was originally a DJ. I started DJing about seven, eight years old. I was originally a DJ. Wow. But then but then I started beatboxing a little and then I started rhyming a little and making beats. But when I started rhyming real hard, I put everything else to the side. But then at some point I started making beats also out of necessity. But then it was just like it was just fun making my own beats and then writing raps to them. So when Cage asked me to make a beat for him. It was like, all right, I'll come over. And it was just in my mind, it was just like, I'm just doing Cage a quick favor. Like I'm just going over and giving him a beat, a couple of beats. Mm. But then he and I had made a couple of other songs together, just, you know, messing around. And then he, I guess he had played them to LP over the phone. Mm. So, and that's when LP started asking questions. (laughs) (laughs) And did you, did you know who he was LP at that point? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because in fact, Cage and I used to be in a group. We were called Mud Bones, okay. and we were gonna be, you know, he was working on a deal with Sony Records and Pete Nice from Third Base. So at that time, in fact, uh, we would have been uh, label mates with Juggernauts at the time and Curious George. Mm. So you know, we, they were working on a deal at that time, and uh, or I had heard about him. You know, I had heard about Company Flow through Bobito yeah. and eighty nine point nine. You know. And not to mention, I had a friend who knew them, BMS, you know, he, he kind of was getting to know them a little. So I had already heard of them Okay. at this point. So what was it like for you when, when LP like expressed an interest in, in working with you? Um, when Cage told me he wanted to do a single, I told him no thanks, kind of. I told Cage no thanks. I, didn't, I don't know. I didn't really want to do a single. Hmm. So then like a month went by and Cage was like, yo, you sure you don't want to do a single? Yo, it'd be dope. And I was like, I don't know. So then like another month went by and he asked me again. And then I was like, all right, cool. So then I, it was like, I was doing more beat making at this time than writing lyrics. But I, so I had a few like 
couple of old rhymes that I had did that I was playing around with. So I took a rhyme from, you know, one verse from one rhyme, a verse from another rhyme, you know, just to make sure they were cohesive and made sense together. And I put them together to make the song Paper Mache. That's pretty much why it's called Paper Mache, because it was kind of like, you know, pasting paper together, a bunch of different papers together to make the one song. Yeah. So it was just a fun play on that. I caught your appearance on um, Flashback Sessions, the Uncommon uh, Uncommon Records, like YouTube show with NASA and Short Fuse. And you you said this on that show or in that interview that like you kind of turned down LP initially, which... Well, it wasn't like I turned them down. It was just more of, I didn't know if I even wanted to like make records at that point. Okay. You know, because I had like a whole nother thing, like other things were going on in my life. Like I had just had a son. So I was a new father, you know, so it was just like, did I want to waste my in in a sense of like, did I want to waste my time trying to pursue a business music career with that that would take away from my real life and the fun of having the fun of making music, enjoying my hobby. Mm. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, because when I heard you on the flashback session say that, like you kind of said no initially, I was like. Hmm. One, mm-hmm. What would make a person say no, <laughs> no in that situation? But I appreciate you sharing that. That makes yeah. sense. So you record Paper Mache and In the Beginning was the other track, right? That um, yep. uh, that you recorded with L. And they released yeah, it, it as the, a, I'm sorry. It was also Nonstop. Nonstop. Nonstop right. was also on the B side. But that was your beat, right? Nonstop? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So they released the Paper Mache single. It's on the Def Jux Presents in 2002. Was there any talk at that point about more work with Def Jux? There was a little bit of talk of actually going on possibly a tour or just, you know, just like a little performing tour. But there wasn't really too much talk of like doing any more music, you know, any more songs or anything like that. Okay. But I'm sure, I'm sure, I mean, it must have been, a thought to him in the works considering you know by this time we had the weatherman right you know and we we had recorded same as it never was which was originally lp wanted to originally put it on the b-side to paper mache right i didn't want to do that though yeah i i heard you say you didn't want to like debut with like a posse cut with a bunch of other people mm-hmm. on it yeah yes i kind of wanted to show you what i can do by myself and if i had to put someone else on there you know, one or two people, not like seven guys on the B side. Like, mm-hmm. it, it was just weird to me. Yeah. And he respected my wishes and I appreciated that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I want to make sure I have the timeline right. So Paper Mache comes out. That's in 2002. And then is it, it's not until 2000. Paper Mache came out in 99. 99. Oh, uh, Def Ch- I have my dates all mixed up. See, this is why I'm asking the questions. I appreciate mm-hmm. you correcting <laughs> Paper Mache came out in 99, and then I had done, Cage put me on Smut Peddler's right. single. It was called For the Record. Okay. And they, they had put me on that. Okay. That was before Paper Mache. And then, is it is it not until 2006 when Natural Magic Music comes out that yep. that was your next project? Yes. Okay. Did you like continue to make music between those two things, or, or no? Yes. Actually, between them, between those, I dropped, I had done an EP called uh, Masai Bay's Goldmine, and I had pressed it up on CD. It was about seven songs, eight songs or so. And I had pressed it up on CD, and I had only sold, I only pressed up about 100 copies of that. Yeah. And so I sold those, I got rid of, you know, I sold those 100 copies. And then uh, I started working on 
Natural Magic Music, but it had no name at that point. But then NASA asked me if he could, you know, he asked me about putting out the material. So what happened was, is I did, we did natural, I did, we did Masai Bay's Goldmine. I added a few songs to it and stuff like that. And then renamed it the Panacea Goldmine. Mm, okay. And that's what NASA put out. Got it. So he reached out to you in terms of re-releasing projects? Yes. Okay. It was NASA who reached out to me. Okay. He, he, he came out of the blue and was like, yo, man, where you been? What's going on? I got a new label. I'd like to put some stuff out with you. And I thought, wow, you know, of the whole scene of everybody who was moving, NASA was the only one who reached out to me. I couldn't mm. tell him mm. no. I couldn't yeah. tell him no. Wow. Plus, he's from, my, you know, we're from the same hometown, so... <laughs> oh, okay i didn't know that uh, yeah. well from staten island got it a little bit ago you were talking about sort of showing people what you got in terms of doing solo work versus being on a posse cut and not really being interested in that initially so i kind of wonder what's the process like for you as an mc when you're part of something bigger than you versus when you're creating solo work when you're creating solo work it's a little more in depth of who you are mm. so I kind of wanted to give you a give you a feel of who I was as an MC, as opposed to who I was as part of a collective. You can get that later, so you can understand. It, it gives more. What's the word I'm looking for? It reinforces what's going on with me individually. You understand what you understand my role now properly in a collective of people, as opposed to just seeing me in a collective of people because if if i come out with a in a collective of people however you view me then when you hear me and see me by myself if it's not exactly that same guy in a collective of people you might not even like me mm. yeah you know so i figured if you if you get to know me first mm. as an individual then when i go with a collective of people you can see get an idea of what i might have changed a little or what i might have done because you know what I did in the beginning initially. Mm, mm. So it's kind of like introducing yourself to the world first and then yes. sort of partnering with other people. Got it. Yes. You got to kind of establish your own identity. Yes. Got it. Because for like example, Paranoid Android, it was Cage and Spaces single. So it wasn't me really expressing my identity, really. It was me featuring on someone's single. You know, so it wasn't like I was giving you a point of view, my point of view of of the scene or the music or how I feel about the music in a sense, it was geared more towards what they were doing, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it's kind of like I had to follow their lead. Yeah. You know, being part, you've been part of several groups throughout your career and it feels to me like, um, and maybe I'm wrong, but it feels to me like people don't really form hip hop groups anymore. Almost feels like something of the past. And I wondered if you, would agree with that having that history and if so why do you think that is probably capital if you got five people in your group and you keep making these albums and they're barely selling when they do sell it's like yo we get to split a hundred dollars you know what i'm saying well, yeah so i think it's yeah. i think it's more of everybody wants to make a name for themselves everybody wants their own kingdom and then they'd be willing to work with you know other people but everybody wants to make a name for themselves because everybody's hungry and they see a lot of other people eating real good yeah makes sense yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i'm sure there's other reasons but 
That's all I can think of at the top. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, a, that's a big reason. Yeah. Money is always a big reason. Gems don't touch us like they used to. So we go old school to find our future. I think we're supposed to. Another golden age of art is about to approach you. So open your ears and minds. They'll open your soul without the Grammys or MTV's control. Prostitution is loose. What a pity. The music fell victim to the Pimpers Trinity. Radio advertising. Major labels advised by accounts, lawyers, and a and who never seen turntables? A good AR to me is a fresh MC or a brother that lived the culture. You barbarians wanna kill our spirit, don't you? Keep trying, but you won't. I'm a Sai Bay by now, a bit paid a power for the stout and down make kid. I'm serious with the lip. I hope you're hearing this. Take me, I'm gonna be clear with this. I'm legit. Nowadays I'm what we need, so get ready. Sounds like rain, like confetti, and yes, the locks much thicker than spaghetti. M A S A I B E Y, make a three-minute, fourteen-second jam a jam pie. You may never heard of me, lyricist in the field of corrective eye surgery. Please pardon and respect my emergency. The game need changing urgently, urgently, urgently. We really want to talk to you about natural magic music um i know rob and i really enjoyed listening to this and i have to admit I, I i didn't catch it um when it came out in 2006 right that's yep. that when it came out but you know i'm wondering it has a new cover um new design so what led to that decision to slightly reinvent this basically when, when it came out it only came out on um it only came out on cd you know there was no vinyl it wasn't digital so mm -hmm. when nasa wanted to do the re-release it was just like you know, do you want to use the same cover or do you want to give it a fresh new cover? And I thought, let's give it a fresh new cover. You know, it's a fresh new time with a re-release. Let's give it a fresh new cover. I mean, the old cover was, it was, you know, it had a super dingy quality. It was disgusting and retarded, but, <laughs> you know, so it was like, I did it myself. That was out of necessity. It was like, right. didn't really know too many graphic designers. So it was just like, I was just doing everything myself. So. It was just one of those things. Yeah. Well, I imagine that probably means more when you do it yourself, you know, you know, despite the quality when you're looking back mm -hmm. now, you know? Yeah. Plus when they sent me, so when I told him, yeah, let's make a new cover. And then he sent me the covers. I thought, ah, I like it. Uh -huh. You know, yeah, it's, it's perfect. It's yeah. perfect. It looks like how I'm feeling right now. <laughs> so. yeah. Well, you open natural magic music with the agenda, which is yeah. this sort of like, wild style era uh tribute and i think Ian e and i both caught this when we were listening to it but one of the things you say is you if you were properly schooled this style is not foreign to you clearly a statement about how your music connects to a long history of music that came before you at the time that you were making this album who would you say your ideal audience was and what was the message that you were hoping to send to them i had no idea who my audience was i didn't know if i had an audience or not I just wanted to make, I just wanted to document something. I just wanted to document how I felt, how I was feeling, document what was going on mm. in my head. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's probably the biggest thing that's been, if there's any disadvantage or just or disadvantages or anything that went a little crazy in my career, it's been the fact that I never knew who could possibly be and who my demographic is or would be. So there was no way for me to market it. It was hard for me to market and target myself to a certain audience because it's like, also once the music, once I record the music and it's done, 
it's done. It's almost like in my brain, I don't revisit it really. Mm. I'm moving on to the next feeling viable piece of music. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for so my downfall, my problem is, is it's hard for me to, it's like I needed a manager because it's hard for me to make the music stay creative and then go and push and market it and promote myself when I'm a little exhausted right now and ready to need to recharge. Right. Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, no, that makes a lot no, of sense. I, so to keep the freedom and keep the stress off myself, I just recorded music that I wanted for myself that I liked and then just put it out there, work on the next thing, record that, whatever I like or feel, put it out there work on the next thing you know you know in the hopes that someone hears it yeah if they yeah. hear it they hear it the people mm-hmm. that's supposed to hear it or who it's supposed to resonate with will hear it you won't hear it until it's time for you to hear it yes which is like why that. we're here right, right yeah. now really. <laughs> i told rob earlier this week that you were the mr miyagi of rap to me <laughs> um i'm not going to take us down a karate kid rabbit hole but <laughs> The reason I say that is because it, it, it's not just that you've mastered your craft, but you carry so much tradition in your approach. Like you carry a lot of the culture's history with you and your lyricism and in just your style in general. And I wondered if it was important for you sort of doing things the way you do. Is it important for you to sort of pass this along to a younger generation? I mean, it sounds because when I listen to your music, it sounds like you're really trying to drop some gems. And so I wondered if if making that connection um, with the next generation is important for you. Well, that was the whole that's the whole foundation. Like if you can say there's a you know how like there's a concept to a song. If you could say there's a concept to my career, my you know, my existence as an MC, it was kind of pretty much that mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, it's so easy to get to lose culture. It's so easy to forget. And if someone doesn't scribe, someone doesn't document, if someone doesn't document what they feel is history, history will never be documented. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I just feel like what comes before you, it's important, right? What's important is now, but what comes before you is also important because it also gives you a little view of what's going on now and what's been sacrificed for you to be where you're at. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's like so much, so much has went on just for us to be able to bust rhymes. And I'm not even talking about just like blacks and Hispanics, but I'm talking about all people, all hip hoppers, you know, so much has went down in hip hop for us to be able to bust rhymes and do our, perform our lyrics and b-boy it, you know what I'm saying? The throw those scratches. That's like to just throw it all away because you feel like eh, that sound was in the past. That doesn't even make sense. Mm. Mm. And this is the only genre of music that does that. This is the only hip, this is the only genre of music that does that. Mm-hmm. We take anything that comes before us and which is interesting because hip hop, it wasn't born that way. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Like hip hop was created by children who listened to the music that grownups and older folks listened to. They listened mm-hmm. to the same music. These yeah. children were listening to James Brown and Jimmy Castor bunch. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? But you don't have these kids trying to listen to a Method Man, really. You know what I'm saying? Or Showbiz and AG. You mm-hmm. don't hear these kids trying to listen to that, really. Mm-hmm. And I just think, you know, they just 
someone needs to document some of this because a lot of people aren't documenting it. Well, at the time, that's just how I felt. Yeah. No yeah. one was documenting the culture. I mean, you had things here and there, and you had a bunch of backpackers running around throwing little b-boys in their videos, in their videos with wax songs, but none of it captured the essence, the rawness, you know what I'm saying, the minimalism of the feeling of the heart of what hip hop was really about. Mm. Beats and rhymes. Yeah, I know you pulled this out, but you know, that's where this lyric on in oral tradition comes from. Jams don't touch us like they used to. So we gotta yeah. we gotta go old school to find our future. Yes. That's what you said. Absolutely. That's what you said. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm. See, everything it's all been done already. Everything is all everything you could possibly do in hip hop has possibly has been done already. So to discard anything that came before you is crazy. It's like mm. everything should be embracing everything. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's crazy. So I was just trying to keep the culture alive because mm. I fell in love with it at a young age. So I guess I'm stubborn and I won't let it go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I'm so glad that this is getting re-released and uh, people are going to have another opportunity. Me too, because yeah. now it's going to be digital. Yeah. So it's going to be in a, more platforms and, you know, expand the range of who can hear it or who's yeah. going to hear it. When when I heard you say on, on Neurodome, the track Neurodome, when I heard you say... All right, yeah. My contribution to literature is bound to make a historical journey, a glorious inclusion to the center of the future and its perimeter. I, <laughs> I was just blown away by that lyric. <laughs> it's so dope to me. And I mean, for one thing, your, your presence and voice are just so commanding. And when you say something like that, it feels like prophecy. Like there's no doubt <laughs> that it's true. But that specific line in my opinion, like demands that this project remain available for future generations <laughs> to find and oh, appreciate. Man, I, appreciate, I appreciate that, man. <laughs> I appreciate that. I heard it and I thought, of course, NASA has to re-release this. Like it, it needs to exist in the world. When you think <laughs> about that lyric now, all these years later, I mean, do you feel like in some sense you have achieved this, this goal that, that you've been talking about and preserving the culture? In a way, not physically, I think spiritually, I think frequency wise, you know, I think there are things that a lot of people or, you know, or different things have picked up on the frequency and it's carried on. Not that I'm the, uh, the creator of what they're doing, but just the fact that we all tap into different waves and frequencies. So, and I just think that it helps that keep that frequency going. You know what I'm saying? It's like, if you, if you put so much energy if you put more, the more air you put into a balloon, the bigger the balloon gets. Yeah. As I was uh, listening to the album recently, I noticed the lack of features. And by the time I get to five lows, I'm thinking, okay, I guess he, he didn't have any features on this. <laughs> <laughs> and then Tensho shows up and, and says, Messiah, don't you need a feature to sell copies? Like, perfect. <laughs> Perfect timing. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering what you remember about the decision to, one, put Tensho on this track, and two, to not use any features elsewhere on the album. Tensho is my brother. So that was a known brainer. And it just felt right at the, at the time. There was a situation went down, something happened, and it, it made perfect sense. And that just came organically from the both of us because we're just both sarcastic, you know, we just have we just, we're crazy. So it was just like, I told him I wanted him to get on a song and that, that's what he said. 
Like, don't you need features to sell copies? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and was it uh, like intentional decision not to have any other features on the album? No, it wasn't intentional. Okay. What happens is, is I'll just I'll be making beats. I'll be working on a beat, and then I'll and then maybe the next day I'll be working on a whole different beat. And I'll just be making beats, and then one beat will give me an idea of something, I'll think of a chorus or something weird. And then the next thing you know, I'm finishing a song to it. Boom, I'll put that, put that to the side. Yeah. So I'm working on beats again, and next thing you know, I get an idea. And before you know it, this idea is just going with the beat. I'm just, it's just, the song is done now. And it just happened like that. To your point earlier, I'm, I'm glad there's not a lot of features on this because I really got to know you. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. That was the original, and like I said before, that was the original point. Like I wanted people to get to know me instead of a whole posse of people all the time. It's like, there's a lot of guys you, you don't even like, some people don't even want to see them without the rest of the team. Right. You understand? And I just never wanted to be that guy. The production on this album is so dope. And in my mind, really right in line with some of Thank the you. great underground sounds of, of that time period. Do you remember what was Thank you? Sure. Yeah. You're welcome. Do you remember what was influencing your approach to making these beats? I don't. <laughs> That's fair. It's been a while. It was like, it was a moment by moment. Yeah. You know, I, it probably didn't start to make sense to me until I was like seven, eight songs in. Mm. And that's when, that's when it started to kind of meld together. So there were a couple of changes made at that point, whether it was beat wise, you know, or something in the vocals or the, the ad libs, something was changed to make everything kind of cohesive hmm. in my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just want to say, number one, that this album is so relevant in 2022. Um, <laughs> some of that is unfortunate. And then some of that is also amazing. So the first single that was released was Environmental Change. And I was listening to this last night and there was this line in it that I kept repeating over and over and over again. And I apologize if I don't get this right because I'm going off of memory. It's all right. I might not know myself. <laughs> but but yeah. you, you say something along the lines of, I've been denied more jobs that I've applied for. Jobs many of my people have died for jobs plenty of my people survive for then pass just to watch the living oh, what's the last line do you know it, rob i don't i don't know it. then pass just to watch the living cry watch the living watch their mothers cry for the life they've been given mm. i think yes. i got that right I'm living in a first world land with a third world mind and a third world tan. Let me be a guide to overstanding a reality, a prisoner of war I am. The Nebuchadnezzar slave ship has transported me from my home where my days were spent, feeding my family and handing jewels to the youth. Now my existence is found in the pavement. I've been denied more jobs than I've applied for. Jobs many of my people have died for. Jobs plenty of my people survived for. Then passed while the living watch their mothers cry for the life they've been given, but still find the fruits of happiness and strife. Sometimes tears of joy, that man, that woman is out of that misery. Life on earth is a short, short mystery.
Okay, so <laughs> that is so, it was just so striking to me. I just kept repeating it over and over again and really made me think of where we are right now as a society living in this pandemic. And mm-hmm. you're talking about these jobs and I kept thinking about all the black and brown people on the front lines, you know, uh-huh. doing these essential jobs and we've disproportionately been dying. And so mm-hmm. that really just sort of brought it home for me. And I was just like, wow, I mean, I know you probably couldn't have predicted we'd be in the pandemic in 2022, but it's just kind of incredible to me, you know, how relevant that song was in particular. Is there a reason that you decided to make this the first single? NASA asked me if we wanted to make it the first single. And I thought, yeah, oh, okay. perfect. <laughs> okay. <laughs> is that simple? This is what I've I've really come to like about you and listening to a couple of other interviews that you've done. It's like, it's not complicated. It's just, (laughs) it's just that simple. I get the impression that you're a a humble person who really, as you've been telling us tonight, like makes music for yourself. And if it gets out there to people, great, but you're going to make it regardless. And that being said, I wonder what it's like uh, what it's been like for you to have someone like NASA take such a serious interest in preserving and re-releasing your catalog? Oh my goodness. I'm real grateful to do. Mm-hmm. Like, for lack of a better analogy, it's kind of like not that he's a fan or anything, because NASA's more of a supporter. But it's kind of like having, it's like the feeling of having all 10,000 of your fans in one person. Mm. Mm. So it doesn't matter who hears it or not, because you have this team, you have this bond where it's like, he re- you respect each other. Yeah. And he's like, yo, if you want to use my avenue to get the music out there, let's do this, you know? And it's just like, I'm just grateful for the dude because he could, no one, no one, no one reached out to me like, like he did. Mm -hmm. Mm. No one. Just, I couldn't say no to him. Yeah. So when he asked me to put out uh, the Panacea Gold Mine, I told him yes. When he asked me to put out Natural Magic Music, I told him yes. He's going to put out my next one, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Art of the Covenant. He asked me to put that out. I told him yes. He asked me to put out my other album, the, my last album, Bebopping, which came out in about 2010 or something. I told him yes. NASA has the whole catalog. Yeah. <laughs> just so we can get it, you know, just so we can get it out there. I'm I'm hearing how meaningful that's been. Shout out to NASA, man. Uh we're grateful to him too. I mean, he hooked us up. He he connected us. And uh of course we've we've had him on the show in the past. Uh great dude. We appreciate his support. Yeah, good dude, good dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Going back to, you know, the conversation around sort of you being this, you know, embodiment of, you know, hip hop history and sort of carrying that with you. You know, I was really thinking a lot um, when I was listening to your music this week about DJ K Slay and, and the recent passing. Um, you know, it's, 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 these losses are so huge because mm-hmm. it feels like we're losing yes. pieces of hip-hop of pieces of hip-hop that's the first thing i thought when i heard about his death mm-hmm. it yeah. was like for all these avenues that all these other sub-genres 
of hip hop culture have going. It's kind of like, it's almost like you had like, if you have two champion, two people just keeping the door cracked for, for to, you know, to, to keep people coming in and someone just like removed him from his position. Uh, and now mm. the door is, it's like, you know, it's like, why him? Like, yeah. Why K Slay? Like, why? Yeah. You know, it feels weird. It's devastating um, just because I feel like we're losing, you know, aspects of the culture through these people. I mean, he has un undoubtedly carries so many stories with him and, mm -hmm. and, and we don't get to hear that anymore directly mm -hmm. from him, you know? Nope. So it's, it's, it's really tragic. I, I'm wondering, you know, I mean, we've experienced a lot of losses like this over the last couple of years in hip hop. So, you know, I'm wondering, you know, it sounds like these losses, you know, hit you just as hard, but you know, what do you think we need to do as a community to preserve these legacies you know, after legends like this are no longer with us. I mean, is, is the work, does the work need to be done before they leave us? You just said it. This is exactly it. We need more publishing. We need every single one of these people to tell their own stories. Hmm. We need every single one of these people to tell their own stories. If we can get them all, if we can get the avenues for them to tell their own stories, these, these would be scrolls. Hmm. These would be scrolls, mm -hmm. scrolls of history. Yeah. No less important than any scroll they've found already. Hip hop scripture. Yeah. Rest in peace to DJ K Slay. Hey, Slay. Huge loss. R.I.P. Dez. <laughs> All right, straight out the jungle. Say what? Say what? Say what? Come on, Sam. Come on, Sam. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Educated man from the motherland. You see, they call me a star, but that's not what I am. I'm a jungle brother, a true blue brother. And I've been to many places you'll never discover. Step to my side, suckers running hot. Africa's in the house, they get petrified. You want to know why? I'll tell you why. Because they can't stand the sight of the jungle. Ah, they never fight a fuss. They never curse a cuss. They just stand on the side and stare at us. They get out of line. I put them on a vine and give them one big push for all mankind. There ain't nothing to it. I just go ahead and do it. I lay down the jungle sound and run right through it. And when I'm on the mic, I never stutter or stumble because I'm a jungle brother. Straight out the jungle. Every episode, we ask our guests to choose an album that is a personal classic or especially influential on them or their their music, their art. And so uh, tonight we're going we're going with your second choice, the Jungle yes. Brothers, straight out the jungle. We always which ironically should have been my first choice. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad we found our way there. So the first question we always ask folks is why? How did we end up here? What what uh, what led you to pick this this album? The promo. Mm. DJ Red Alert had a radio show on Friday and Saturday nights on 98.7 Kiss FM, and he played. He always had like he always talked about the Jungle Brothers and the Violators and stuff, but then he played this. He played the promo on the radio, yeah. and I thought this beat is crazy. And these dudes, it was just something different. It was way different. And they had dropped the uh, they had dropped the single. I think it was Straight Out the Jungle and On the Run, and oh. I was gone from there because it was. Pro I would say that album was probably the first complete album in my mind that registered as 
not only is a conscious album, a cohesive conscious album, but it also had like a certain just black consciousness. Like mm. it felt like black power that included everyone. Mm. Not that black mm. power doesn't include anyone. It's just when he said, when they spoke of black power, it, it just included everything and everyone. So mm. I thought that that was cool about it, that it was like, it was, it just spoke to me. Yeah. Yeah. Culturally, it changed the way I dressed. Mm. You, know, you know, it changed the way I dressed and they stuck to the concept. So that was incredible for me, you know, so, the, you know, kangaroos on my tail and that's OK. It's like <laughs> now you're referring to the police as kangaroos. You know, it, it was it was I thought it was cool that they stayed on topic and it was just it was great. Did they also. And, and it, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to ask if they also influence you as an MC. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I probably owe 85% of who I am as an MC to the Jungle Brothers mm. and what they bought specifically on their first two albums. Because on those first two albums, what they bought with them was the energy and the feel and the true of what Zulu Nation, of the Universal Zulu Nation was about, uplifting all people, everybody, all doing this hip hop thing, loving the culture and preserving it. Mm. Those two, they, their first two albums, and especially Straight Out of the Jungle, it embodied that feeling. It, it almost carried the feeling from the early 80s right into the late 80s and right into the 90s. Mm. You know, they held that torch to me. Yeah, a bridge of when sorts. That, when that album dropped. Yeah, yeah. I was just reading today uh, a, someone, I don't remember where what I was reading, described this album as sort of like the everyman of of hip hop at the time and that kind of black consciousness that you're talking about, as opposed to like a public enemy who was sort of like more militant. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it was a little different. Yeah, it's like you're saying, it seems like it was easier for people, like everyone to connect to. Mm -hmm. To connect to, yeah. Yeah. Oh, great album. <laughs> and when songs like On The Run with a Jimmy Castor bunch sample, mm -hmm. it, it brings you back, you know? Yeah. So it's like, oh man. <laughs> That's what I love about their first two albums, the samples that they use, because they're yes. so they're all songs that I grew up with. Yeah. And so it's just so I mean, you're just locked in, like, because it's, yep. it, it has that nostalgia. It does for they, me, at least. Yeah. Yeah. They use them in beautiful ways. Like you could just hear like one little bar of, of a horn section from a song, you know, just yep. right on the breakdown and then boom, back to the beat. And it's like, oh, wow. Like what placement? Great arrangement, you know. Yep. <laughs> it was great. It was great. A lot of it was they had a lot of sing-alongs. Yeah, there was a yes. lot of stuff you could sing. It was a lot of sing-alongs. It's great yes. album to sing along to. I'm gonna do, yeah, I'm gonna do, <laughs> I'm gonna do you, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like it was so much to sing along to. Dancing so on the dance floor, girl, it's you that I is the like. There's so much sing-alongs. Like you could just put that on the bus and go for a camp trip. Like it's good. It's good. <laughs> Yeah, they're so it's they're so contagious. I I got a couple of them stuck in my head today. I was walking, and I was just like black, is, black is, black is, black. Is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I also read today that I wish I could remember what I was reading, but it gave them credit for the word Jimmy becoming slang for male genitals. I would say that's the that's the first time I ever heard the word. 
<laughs> That's Jimbrowski. Jimbrowski, like, right? When I first heard, it, I'm like, "What is a Jimbrowski? Like, what is a Jimbrowski?" <laughs> That's the first time I ever heard it. That's it the hilarious. I love that so much. That's crazy. Yeah, I have to say, I also thought a lot about Blockhead as I was listening yeah. to this yep. album. When we had Blockhead on the show, he was sharing with us the story about how someone, I think he was, he was in high school at the time, like telling him that he needs to listen to Jungle Brothers because he was really into like raunchy, like over the top stuff. And and <laughs> when he listened to uh, their second album, he didn't really get that. But I'm listening, <laughs> I'm listening to Jim Browski today and I was like, oh, I think maybe this is what Blockhead's friend was talking about. Yeah. This song right here. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Oh, that's yeah, a great song. There are a couple of nasty joints on here. Yeah. Yeah, they were. <laughs> yeah, they were. <laughs> yes, they were. They were tastefully nasty. Right. Yeah, yeah. It didn't feel, I mean, it wasn't too live crew, you know? <laughs> yeah, right, right. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> One of the things this album is kind of credited with is, is an increasing overlap between house music and hip hop. Yes. Um, and I wonder, were you a fan of that sound? Were you a fan of like the, the house hop sound? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I loved house music. Absolutely. Mm. Oh, I loved house music. I used to DJ house music. Okay. Really. All right. Mm. Well, a lot, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love house music. So when that song came out, it was like, wow. I already knew the song they sampled and everything. Like all mm. the songs mm. they've sampled for their house music songs or for their house records, I already knew those songs. So I was like, wow, they, they used that. It was weird you know, that they use that. But at that time, there was so many rappers kind of starting to like, they were, they were definitely the first, but they kind of like, people started trying to, it was kind of like, everyone had to have like that one house or dance track yeah. on their album, like just that one. Yeah. So they just went crazy after that because they seen how, how great it worked for the Jungle Brothers, but it didn't work that well for everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> it worked well for the native tongues. Yeah. I mean, oh, absolutely. When, when other groups did this um, in the collective, it was definitely something I, it's something I love. Yes, it was great. How does this album compare to, to the second for you? I think the second album was the first album perfected. Okay. But, but I like the first album more because it was the prototype mm. to what they did on the second album. It was almost like the second album, they listened to the first album and thought, what could we do to make this, make it do it, make it better. And I think they actually achieved that goal. So I think the first album is better because it sparked that second album. You know, they were still hungry. Yeah. It sparked that second album. Yeah. I mean, cause, it, cause that second album sounded like some of the, a lot of those songs might've been left over yeah. on the cutting room floor from the first album. Yep. And the production mm -hmm. had stepped up even more, you know, mm -hmm. there was still even more samples. And that's what I loved about them. They had like instrumentals on the albums that were just like, you know, maybe Sammy B scratching with a whole bunch of different samples in it and gorillas and chimpanzees and, you know, all kinds of different animals and stuff. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I agree with all everything that you just said. Is it just me or are they like a bit sillier on the first record than they are on the second? Yes. The first sure. record is definitely sillier. They were more yeah. serious. It's, it, Nice observation. Nice observation. Yeah. <laughs> they were definitely sillier on the first album. Yeah. They sounded like they were having a lot of fun. That's probably what caught me the most. You know, I love, you know, that's like in my music, I say I'm serious. I'm pretty serious most of the time. But there are so, you know, there's, there's a bunch of places where if you know me personally, 
you would also find that serious line hilarious. Mm. But that's yeah. that's strictly for people, you know, yeah. for people who know me. Some lines you might not even understand because I only wrote it for myself so that I can understand. So I, it's like telling myself later on or reminding myself later on of something. What are some of your favorite tracks on here? On the Run, um, the promo, um, Bragging and Boasting, Because I Got It Like That. No problem. Why? Because I got it like that. A baby bear beat and an African rap. A partner by my side, Sammy Beers on the cut. Maybe this chill and chill, but hey, so what? Nothing's in my pocket, bond in my hand. I got it like that, but you still don't understand. It comes to me natural, it comes to me easy. I just lay back and let the big beat leave me. I never worked a day in my life. Single jungle brother, no kids, no wife. to pop that tape in and just just let it go (laughs) let it go i don't think i've ever really fast forwarded like even if there's a song that i like the least favorite i still never fast forwarded it because i still liked it it Mm. just was a matter of i didn't like it as much as i liked something else on the other that's all but i listened to the whole thing really like i like those whole thing yeah i don't think there's any throwaways for me on here no because it, that album was is still from a time where albums were listened to in the context of a whole album, as opposed to a collection of 15 singles. Yeah. You know, it wasn't supposed to be 15 singles. It was a collection of, you know, of material that they were creatively working on in the studio. And I thought, it's cool. As I alluded to earlier, this was uh, the second album that you picked uh, when we asked you which album you want to talk about the first was De La Soul is Dead, and, and we, we covered that not too long ago with uh, Jesse Ferguson. Uh, so we kind of encouraged you to come up with another <laughs> one. What was it that made you say De La, De La Soul is Dead? Because they came out with Three Feet High and Rising, and they were getting like this whole backlash of like being soft hippie punks. Mm. And I thought it was weird because I didn't hear that. I didn't hear that in the first album. Like when I listened to it, I heard a lot of like dissing rappers talking about how dope they like a lot of braggadocio stuff. But it was like they people, the critics were acting like, oh, they just talk. They're like some soft hippies, you know, flower peace child. So when De La Soul is Dead came out, it was kind of like they were saying that old De La Soul that you thought were hippies is dead. We're going to show you who the real De La Soul is. So you got songs like Peace Porridge, mm-hmm. and it's like, we at the club, minding our business, trying to perform, have fun and dance, and you guys want to act stupid. I mean, you want to act stupid, cool, but you can get your ass knocked out. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? So I thought it was cool how you got like these so-called like nerdy flower kids ready to bust your ass. Mm-hmm. So and the whole album just seemed to have that theme to me, like letting you know, like, yo, just because we live in the suburbs of Long Island don't mean we're not street kids too. Cause we came originally from these street, like we're street kids too. Yeah. Don't get it twisted. So it was like, I thought it was great because it kind of put like, 
it was kind of like the nerds were beating up the bullies now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's such a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> the nerds were beating up the bullies now. <laughs> Love it. Also, like, really paints them in a more complete light. You know, they got to show off mm -hmm. like another side of themselves on De La Soul. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, they did. And think about this, man. De La Soul changed Rom styles every song. Yeah, incredible. Mm -hmm. Right. On that album? Yeah. They change rhyme styles every single song. Sometimes multiple rhyme styles. Multiple in one styles song. in one song. Right. You're correct. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. And inventive. Like who else was doing that? Super inventive. Super inventive. They pretty much, as far as I'm concerned, they might have invented hip hop poetry mm. because everything they said usually had some other kind of meaning. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So it's like potholes in my lawn. Like People thought, like, look at these flower kids talking about potholes in my lawn, but they're talking about whack rappers stealing their style. Like, <laughs> I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. De La. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm hearing that you were a big Native Tongues fan. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. As most people were, I think. Because they come from the same, I mean, this, like, I guess I come from the, kind of the same cloth they came from. Yeah. You know, they're a little, you know, a few years older than me. But it's like it's the same cloth. They grew up admiring the same people, listening to the same type of music. Their parents listening to the same type of records and music. So it's like a certain the unit mind, a certain collective energy or mm. vibe that yeah, you know, you can you just feel it. You know where they're coming from. <laughs> you see some of yourself in them, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like when you read a book, when people read books, you know, you read a book and it's like most people look for themselves in a specific in a character somewhere in the book it's yeah. just it's just nature yeah you know so music is like the same thing i just want to say we've been talking about bridges um you know in hip-hop and there's a video that pasta news posted on instagram and he they were just at coachella mm -hmm. and he was watching from behind like the stage he was watching megan the stallion perform and i just thought that was so fucking cool because here's this legend and yes. he's out here supporting, you know, someone from the younger generation. And he, I mean, he was into the show. He was recording it on his phone and he was just watching her. And I just thought it was so, I loved it. I, I just love when. Oh, absolutely. That support. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's important. It's definitely important for the older heads to support the youth. Because whether you or not you feel like they're doing it wrong, they're doing, they're doing what they feel and it's coming out of them. If they didn't do if if hip hop didn't do what they did, it's like these kids wouldn't be doing the same thing they're doing. Doing what they feel is coming out of them. You know what I'm saying? They're expressing themselves in weird ways, but they're expressing themselves. They could be doing a lot worse. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. But it's you know, it's like it's too many, it's too many walls around everything. Like, yeah, yeah. It's not enough, it's not enough of variety. Clear Channel and like iHeartRadio and all that, like they need to open, they need to open some more doors for people like K Slay to have radio shows. You know, mm. it's like I remember when you used to be able to turn on the radio, the local radio station in the station in your city, and you can hear music that your city was vibing with. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Not that it's in, in you know, every once in a while, not not every once in a while, but they throw in other different other things. Yeah. Now it's all just no matter what station you turn to, it's all the same thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know I'm saying no matter what radio station you turn to, it's all the same thing. I mean, yeah. I don't know no one listens to radio anymore, but just as an example. 
Yeah. No, but you, yeah, you're absolutely you right. I grew up in the D.C. area, and I remember at least one eat night a week, WPGC had a go-go hour, you know, where they're playing D.C. go-go, where mm-hmm. nobody else is playing that anywhere. You only know that mm-hmm. if you're in D.C. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that exists anymore. And that's crazy. It should be go-go all the time, and then they have everywhere else out. <laughs> right. It's DC. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? For an hour, we play a little bit of Jay Z. We play a little bit of Snoop. Right. Now we're back to the go go. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Luckily, we got the internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least you get to search for yourself now. Right. Yeah, right. You should get to search for yourself. Be your own radio. Host. Sound old as hell. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> Messiah, thank you so much for your time tonight really appreciate your willingness to sit down with us this was have fun i have fun yeah this was a great a great conversation is there anything you want folks to know as far as like what to look out for with this re-release of uh natural magic music look out for selling about two million copies (laughs) 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 i'm not greedy i don't need five million (laughs) now um i don't know man like it's all in the music yeah (laughs) <laughs> it's yeah. all in the music everything that i pretty much felt like i've ever needed to say i've said in the last five albums you're making me think of something that i did want to ask though even though i know i was trying to wrap up one of the interviews i listened to as i prepped for this tonight you said you were done rapping you, yes you said you'd stick with the beats but you're done rapping yes. and i i just felt like i needed to check on that and and ask if you still feel that way. I don't know. I don't have anything else to say. Mm. Like anytime I think of, if I even try to think of anything or anything comes to my mind, I always have a, there's always a reference that I can make to something I already said that hit that topic or that thought. So it's like, so when I need to remind myself of certain things or get back to some things that I might've forgot, I listen to some of my music and it gives me, it recharges my memory again. So it helps me like philosophically, it helps me, you know, deal with life where I can take a look at how I used to think and compare that to how I think now, see how different it is. You might see how much of the same it is, you know? And in the most cases it, you know, it varies. And I just, there's no need to, I don't have anything else to say because everything that I wanted to say, I have already said, in fact, in some of it, I said it not for that time, but I said it for now so that I wouldn't have to say it, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I respect that. I, I respect that. I respect like having the awareness to know I've done it. I've said what there was to say I, and I can let it rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some people say too much. Yeah. But <laughs> before you know it, you're just repeating yourself. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, how many times can you repeat yourself? Repeat yourself. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. (laughs) All right. Well, Environmental Change was the first single off the re-release. That's out there in the world. You can get it uh, everywhere. Music is streamed. I imagine uh, I can also get it at Uncommon Records, Bandcamp page. Yep. Um, Yes, you can. NASA tells us Stanza X is the next single that's going to be coming in May and then in June. Yes. Full release of uh, yes. of natural magic music. So be on the lookout for that, everyone. Be on the lookout. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
No, thanks, Rob. Thanks, E. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, folks, this has been The Next Movement. Thanks for listening. Peace. 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 Now is the head of the field. I see a lot of you supermen suited up with Clark Kent powers. But you scared of kryptonite concentrate. I know. I know. Masai Bet. Panacea. Flavor in your ear. Say. This my booth now. Superman no longer gets dressed in here. Nice and clown proof. Spice the boom a little this, a little that sound bound to get around true. I ain't old, I'm old school. I ain't bold, I fold you. I write coherent. Your friend ain't your friend. He should have told you I'm a pencil and paper. Maniac, brainiac, and b-boy stance, man. I write rhymes that links the Ku Klux Klan. I'm a rebel and I'll never go along with your plan unless you fan. So stop all the frontin'. You leave the state, return with a new style. Step to the plate and continue wanting, and I'm convinced. If you have the strength to even swing the bat, you'll be swinging at nothing work. I'll dream my life until I live my dream. I seem like I'm an enlightenment fiend at first sight.